Hello and welcome to the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. I'm your host, David Hirschman, and on this episode, we're talking to Damian Evans, the founder of Ocean State of Mind, which seeks to reconnect people with the ocean via mindfulness practices. He has a new ocean adventure designed to raise awareness of the health benefits of the ocean called the Great Underwater Boulder Walk, where he is currently moving a large rock across across the floor of Narragansett Bay to support the work of clean ocean access. He's also got a new blue economy organization aimed at connecting corporations with sustainability initiatives with the ocean. So before we get started, don't forget to rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening. And if you want to learn more about the show, just visit www.blueeconomypodcast.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And now here's our interview with Damian Evans. Damian, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. Yeah, of course. Well, first, I'll mention that we've known each other for a while, um, and I've seen you through various iterations of projects focused on the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're a big surfer, and but I, I guess maybe in, in your own words, kind of where does your focus on the ocean come from, and I guess why why do you feel drawn to it? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we we live here in the ocean state, so we're close to it. My mother grew up on uh, Aquinnick Island. Uh, so we're surrounded by water in the summertime and um, was just sort of naturally drawn to it and picked up surfing when I was younger. And that's just become a through line for my life. It's helped travel. I've traveled around the world um, doing that and diving and, and just really set an intention to bring the ocean closer into my life uh, maybe 15 years ago. And just see where things go. And and here we are. Cool. Well, tell me, you started Ocean State of Mind a few years ago. Um, tell me about what that was about and, and, and continues to be about and uh, how it sort of like brings you towards some of your newer projects. Yeah, great. I mean, Ocean State of Mind has been a project that kind of continues to emerge, um, but it really starts with this notion that we are in need of a deep, profound reconnection with the natural world. Um, and so at the at the seed of ocean state of mind is this intention around rekindling that re- that connection with the ocean. And that looks like a variety of things when we're actually doing the work, but um, that's the intention and that's in the center of it. And I, I guess what are some of what are some of the ways people do the work? I mean, you know, is, is it just getting out in the ocean and kind of experiencing it, or are there sort of activities and exercises? Or yeah, so I mean, a bunch of our work we've been brought into strategic planning with our partners at Spartana Consulting, um, and there we're bringing some of the practices that we've learned from from both the ocean and free diving and our breath work, and also my own background in, as a meditation mindfulness teacher to bring, I guess one way to put it is just bring a pause into like the constant doing. So in strategic planning, we have big companies or organizations trying to figure out what the next five years look like. And oftentimes people are walking into those rooms with one or two things that they just have to get done. And it's all about staff capacity. It's all about fundraising. And, and they are, Um, having trouble listening to the others in the room. And so we often will begin with just some simple breathing exercises. Oftentimes we'll be doing these retreats by the ocean. 
And so I, I like to talk about the ocean as a co-facilitator of the work. And so sometimes we're teaching people just to read the water or read the tides or where's the wind coming from and infusing that sort of nature knowledge into things like a corporate strategic planning process can really turn into valuable insights when people are stopping the doing and sort of getting into the being of why they're there and what the organization is all about. Well, that almost seems like a good segue into your current project, which is uh, taking a, st- or maybe I'll just let you explain what it is. You, you've, you have a stone in Narragansett Bay. <laughs> I have a large rock in, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's in uh, Easton Bay, which is the bay where first beach is. So if you've ever been to Cliff Walk in Newport and walked along Cliff Walk, it's the large expanse of water that's that's basically the open ocean. Um and it, uh, we have a large rock there that we are bringing home to uh, Easton Point, which is Tuckerman in Middletown. So if you're on Cliff Walk and looking across the water, a little over a mile away is a, is a point of land. Um, and we're taking this rock, which is about a 25-pound rock, and uh, yeah, we're walking it underwater um, back to where we found it. We're bringing it home. And uh, in in many ways, this is just a totally crazy thing to do. And that was part of the intention was to think about something that maybe has never been done before and maybe is impossible. That realistically you have a 50-50 chance of doing. When you say you're bringing it back home, like you actually found the rock on the other side and brought it over in a car or something? That uh, That's correct. We paddled it over. Okay. Um, and how did you choose this particular rock? Was it like by weight or by size or just, or was it just challenging enough that you thought you could do it or what's the, what's the solution? Yeah, that, it's a, that's a funny question because I, I was overthinking that one quite a bit. Um, and I spent a good two weeks looking at the, for the perfect rock. I wanted something that was heavy enough that would sink you quickly to the bottom and that was difficult, but not too heavy where potentially you know, my 12 or 13 year old daughters might be able to dive down and possibly pick it up. Um, we have uh, yet to test that. Uh, and, and then I stopped trying to think for the look for the perfect rock. And I said, I got to just find something. And just there it was. <laughs> yes. um, when you say that we are doing it, like, it, so this is not, I think when we first talked about it, it was just your project. And now you, do you have other people involved in moving the rock as well? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of funny that we're talking about this to your listeners on a podcast because the the intention was I wasn't going to really tell anybody about it. Um, but the the nature of um, the a- activity really requires a safety diver with you. Um, so whenever you're diving, um, anyone who's ever trained in free diving knows you don't do it alone. And so I started talking with people that I know have experience in the ocean and Every person I, I mentioned I was doing this, um, you know, their eyes lit up and said, we, we really got to like share this. And and also, like, I, I definitely want to be there. And can I do it as well? And so it kind of just quickly snowballed into a team effort, um, which uh, now having made several attempts, we launched this a week and a half ago. I'm very glad it's a team effort. This is a very challenging thing that's going to take at least a month. So when you get down there, like you you pick it up in your arms and then just sort of walk along the ocean floor, or is it? Are you sort of dragging it, or what's the? Do you like hook into it somehow? Yeah, well, I so I have it. Um, I have I've tied it up with, with a rope and attached it to a buoy and an anchor. So I dive down and take the anchor off. I leave it to the buoy so that we can find it because 
the waters here are not like uh, Maui in Hawaii, where you can see 100 feet. You know, if you can see 15 feet out there, that is a very clear day. Um, yeah, so you're diving down and you're picking it up and it's sort of like walking on the moon. I mean, this is what gets very exciting is you can take a huge leap with this and float up into the air oh, nice. and land eight feet away, you know, and if you kind of do a couple dolphin kicks, you can start kind of swimming with it before it sinks you right back down on the ground. And then you can just sort of walk, walk with it. it it's not the most graceful walking, I should I should say, but uh, we're moving forward. And are you, you're down there for the, you don't have scuba gear or anything. So you're down there for the length of a breath and then you have to go up and go back down again. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all on our breath. And, um, you know, this is very much about connecting ourselves to our breath, connecting ourselves, like I've mentioned, to the ocean. And um, yeah, you've got to be focused and very present. Uh, to do this in in a safe way, but it's also a lot of fun. Cool. Well, you know, what I really like about it is the way that it's sort of goal oriented and also kind of public and um, and you're you're doing stuff uh, kind of in support of the oceans with it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about kind of what you're hoping to achieve, I guess, first uh, in the way of donations or help or anything from the community? Um, and then also, like, do you have sort of a personal achievement you're tying to it? Is it like, you know, it's it's sort of public you're moving the rock but it's also like damien moving the rock so it's a you know it's two different things yeah yeah it's interesting i've been tangling with this for a while having not thought about having it be public at all um and and so some in some ways you know we're collectively as a you know on the planet in this sort of funny post covid time where we really are looking to remember like who we are what we're all about and connecting the community and, and certainly nature, you know, I think allowed a lot of us um, some solutions to our isolation. And so in some ways, this is like a ritual and a process of how do we collectively work through some of those traumas? Um, you know, I've also gone through, I lost my father a year and a half ago. I was involved with a you know, real tragic drowning incident with a young boy um, in Beavertail two plus years ago, which really shook me. And so for some part of this, this is a this is a ritual of processing that grief and doing something that, you know, on the face of it may look quite meaningless. Who the hell is just moving a rock underwater from one place to the other? Uh, and on the other, it, it allows for um, these these learnings to emerge, you know, without having to overthink it too much. Sure. Um, when I when I you know, you ask a little bit around, you know, are there some goals or outcomes or what else are we trying to do? And when you bring your thinking mind into it, like for me, this is just, I think one of the one of the most important things we can do as a society is to reconnect our communities to nature. And a lot of us face huge barriers just to getting to the beach. You know, all our beaches should be free and they should be super accessible and they're just not. Um, and so we're very intentional around where we're doing this because we're starting from two public access, access points for the ocean. And that's why we partnered with Clean Ocean Access. That's a local nonprofit that's really focused on clean, healthy, accessible um, uh, ocean. And um, these are two places that uh, people for thousands and thousands of years have been going to for community, for food, for transportation, and they've gotten harder and harder to 
to get to. So we're trying to raise awareness around accessing, you know, the healing nature of ocean. And yeah, the, we are using the, the great underwater boulder walk as a funding effort um, for clean ocean access and also to help kick off our new blue economy work. So where can people go if they want to either contribute or follow you along kind of in the process as you're doing it? Yeah, so, so we can follow on, on Instagram at Ocean State of Mind, but also our website is oceanstateofmind.blue. And uh, we have an adventure tab there and then all the information is is there. Excellent. Well, all right, so we've talked about The Rock. Tell me a little bit about the, the new business, which is focused on the blue economy. Yeah, well, you know, I know in, in Rhode Island, but all over the world, you know, the blue economy is something that has emerged as this, this sort of huge asset. And, you know, and it, there's just some calculations around what the the values the, the ocean brings to um, the world's financial system. And it's on the order of, you know, $25 trillion. Um, sure. That's like 10 times all the goods and services we create in America every year. Um, and so, you know, there's sort of, uh, it's, it's not a land rush, it's a water rush of sorts of, of blue economy companies that are looking to pull out um, value. And it's the same value that, you know, our first peoples all over the world have, have found from the ocean. There's food, there's energy, um, there's community, there's transportation. And so we're seeing a lot of those plays in the blue economy space. And the new blue economy is, is, is working with those companies to put value back in. Uh, and that's really at the basis of it. So we're looking to partner with blue economy companies and brands that are um, that understand their customers value a healthy, thriving and accessible ocean. And so we'll partner with those companies and brands to put value back in. And that looks like strengthening coastlines, you know, planting seagrasses, um, but also working with communities that are impacted with uh, sea rise um, to build resilience into the human population as well through um, meditation, mindfulness, breathing practices, and and other practices that have been baked into these coastal communities for millennia. You know, the, the fishing communities have known for a long time, and and so um, that's so the, sort of the short short answer. Well, let's have, let's have the longer answer. Like, the, what's the um, you know the basically you're connecting blue economy companies like offshore wind companies and that kind of thing with. Uh, I, I, like nonprofits doing sustainability? Is it kind of like a matchmaking a little bit? Yeah, I think I, I think so. And this this kind of goes back to a lot of my my work in, in the educational systems of playing an intermediary role so that you can start having the systems and scaling effects. So often, you know, we have tons of small nonprofits that are doing tremendous work around Rhode Island, but, you know, around the world as well, but who struggle to be able to, you know, play sort of that systems role with how do I attract the wind companies and how do I think about getting funding and I'm I'm doing my grant application. So we want to play a role and, and there's plenty of examples of you know people doing that where you can you can work with the company, channel the funding into the hands of the people doing the work on the ground in a way that um, that creates more of an efficiency. And what sorts of companies doing the world work on the ground? I mean is it largely like kind of erosion and kind of sustainability related or are there, I mean, or, or all kinds? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm focused on access, the a, a clean, healthy, um, accessible ocean and, and the resilient communities that live by it. And so, yeah, this, this would be like clean ocean access, which is focused on the large part on accessing 
Um, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to be on the podcast because we're also looking for more nonprofits. There's, you know, I have a friend that runs a movement education outdoors MEO organization, which is connecting black and brown communities to nature and, and mindfulness practices throughout the state and have started a focus on water. Um, but also looking to talk to others that are doing more of like the coastal resilience, um, the salt, you know, the, the marsh, marsh uh, restoration and seagrass planting. So is it largely local? I mean, is it local to Rhode Island or are you kind of, do you see this as being more, you know, can have global impact as well? I, I mean, I, I think for sure abroad, but right now we're, we're, we're focused here. Um, there, there's another organization that's doing some uh, similar work internationally, um, Seagrass run by Sustainable Surf, and, and I've uh, recently been chatting with them and we hope to do some partnering work as well to expand their, their impact. Well, so people talk a lot about kind of creating clusters of innovation around things like blue tech. Um, and here in Providence, we now have dozens of offshore wind companies like congregating at CIC. Um, can you talk a little about the value of connecting these big companies with the startups and the ESG initiatives and kind of the ecosystem, you know, both that you're building and kind of accessing with the, with the new business? Yeah, I mean, that's where I think this gets really exciting because you can start thinking about things that may seem impossible today. So you know, clearly, like Rhode Island is the the first on the uh, the wind farms, offshore wind farms. And I was talking with the port director in San Francisco recently, and he's like, everyone's looking looking at you guys, you know, and like learning from what's happening. And that's why you're seeing representatives from all these wind farms because there's a lot of incentives to be here. Um, we're also a very well interconnected community and a coastal community, and we've and we're sort of a first mover here, and so. Think about, uh, you know, we have more coastline than highways in Rhode Island. You know, we have this huge bay, 35 miles from Providence to the ocean. We have countless beaches, you know, some of the best in the world. You know, what if you're looking at all of the incentives? We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of incentives that are coming in here. Imagine a Narragansett Bay, all of the bay and all the rivers. It wasn't all that long ago. It was basically yesterday in geologic time where humans were just swimming, fishing, eating, communing in all of our rivers, all of our lakes, all of the bays. You can't swim in most of these rivers in the Narragansett Bay or India Point Park. Um, imagine, you know, we had a graduation speaker at our kids' school the other day. It was imagine, imagine a beach in Providence where no one thought twice about swimming and fishing. That's so why, why, why isn't there? Is it just because it's polluted or because it's, uh, I don't know. Is that like, why isn't there a beach in Providence? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a large part, right, is the is the pollution, which has gotten a lot cleaner. You know, we built the, the two mile long huge pipe to get the the rainwater runoff uh, a couple of years ago, which has started making big impacts. We've seen the return of a lot of the fish, um, uh, but we also we don't have access. You know, I worked in the communities in South Providence, and many of them never even got down to the bay, and it was five blocks away. Uh, you know, it's just lined with with natural gas refineries. There's there's no real good access point. So um, I think we can actually use this concentration around the blue economy to really build out some funding to make some moves that are generational um, and that really start returning us back to the nature and bringing nature back to where it belongs. What do you think that we need most, I guess, in, in order to make that happen? I mean, is it like, I mean, obviously there's, plenty of funding and grants and stuff for it, but like in terms of kind of bringing the the right kind of critical mass of companies to a place like Providence, what like what do you think they need? 
or or is it just like you know it's it, it's sort of like when once you have a few then you have a few more and then you have a few more and then it's enough you know yeah i mean i think there's probably a lot of sort of textbook answers to this you know being the first mover having the incentives in place having like permitting that's efficient having a government that's sort of consistent sustainable around that you know all of those things but i also think there's something deeper and i have a little bit of a contrarian i think approach on how we help re like reverse climate change and create sort of systemic human behavior shifts in our relationship with nature. And that's making it easy for a lot of us just to simply pause, get out into nature and reconnect and pay attention to what nature is teaching us. And, and you so that, that will re start reversing climate change? No. It will not. Um, it'll start shifting our understanding of our role in this world. And it'll start shifting this notion that we're just here to extract value out of the ocean, but rather like we have a role to be putting that value back in. And I think there are a lot of companies that understand their customers believe deeply that we need a clean, thriving ocean and nature in general that are going to they're, they're going to come to us because we've also made a play there. And that they're not just coming to like reap all the rewards. Yes, we're going to have a healthy economic scenario, but we also have we have ten thousand years of history of of living and communing um, with our waterways. Um, and I, I think there's a really important thing there that we 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 can't continue to keep ourselves disconnected from. We've got to pay attention to it, and we have to uh, get closer to that. And for companies is that, I mean, for a lot of companies, I guess now they have ESG as a box they have to check off one way or the other. I mean, is that the, you know, do you see some companies like actually believe in it more, but everybody does it anyway? Or is it, or I, I guess what's the, what are the levels of different commitment between some of the companies you've talked to? Yeah, I mean, you're going to, it's carrot and stick, you know, so in Europe, right, all those companies now are starting to have to demonstrate proof that their entire supply chain is hitting these certain sustainability goals. Um, and there's some real meat around, around some of that work. You know, we have, we have a little bit of a different system here, but um, I think more and more, like we're just going to see that it's going to be forced into how businesses are operating and plenty of them now already get it. You know, Patagonia is the shining example. Like what did they do? They disbanded their board and they said, we have one stakeholder now. And it's the planet. And we know like we can make good money while also serving our planet. Um, and so there are some real leaders there. And there's some other folks that this this sort of conversation is going to just not connect and they're not going to pay attention to it. So we're going to we're going to work with the ones that are there and ready. Cool. Um, did I miss anything? Is there any other? I feel like you always have like lots of new things going on. Any other ocean related initiatives? <laughs> We are always doing something uh, near or in or on or under under the water. Right now, the, the boulder walk is taking up quite a bit of our time. It is sort of like doing a triathlon each time we're out there. Um, is, but, it, is it tiring? I mean, are you like kind of exhausted when you come up? You're exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're exhausted. Um, you know, it takes a... It's a it's a mile paddle to get there, which is not a big deal, but it's you know it's a thing. You got to get all of our gear down down to the water, and then you're sort of diving to switch the anchor and 
And then diving's a you know it's a fairly um, calm endeavor, but now we're diving, of course, and picking up a large rock and moving it, and and then you've got to do recovery time, and then you're on sort of the safety, which gives you a little rest, and then you're diving again. So, you know, what's the recovery time? Like you have to be above water for like a couple of minutes before you can go down again, just to for your yeah, breath. yeah. For you know, it's roughly for every you know second of diving you want to triple that amount of time for rest so if, if you were to be able to hold your breath for a whole minute like you're you're going to be well over three minutes of, of rest and recovery um cool. before you go back down well awesome um i'm really looking forward to to i mean it, it, it's not even about the goal in mind as, as much as it is uh watching you do it <laughs> Thanks, David. Yeah, we're we're looking forward to it. We're really excited about partnering with Clean Ocean Access, and um, uh, we have one small sponsor. So, if there's other listeners that are interested in in helping sponsor the the walk, it's going to be going on for at least another month. We'll see. This has never been done before. Um, and and if if they do want to, how do they contact you through OceanStateOfMind.com or dot blue? Sorry. Oceanstateofmind.blue is a is a is a great way yeah to get in touch with me. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Damien. Really enjoyed having you on the show, and uh, we'll keep everybody posted on on your progress. Thank you so much, David. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. And thanks again to Damien for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about us, catch up on past episodes, or shoot us a note with your comments, please head over to www.blueeconomypodcast.com or look us up on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. From beautiful Providence, Rhode Island, the greatest small city in the world, I'm your host, David Hirschman. Thanks for listening.